When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. I'm stood with three unhappy gentlemen inside an empty Old Trafford after Manchester United have crashed out of Europe before Christmas. It's pretty miserable. We all feel pretty flat. The performance was flat. The result was another defeat for United as well. But we're going to do our best over the course of the next half an hour or so to work out exactly what happened for Manchester United, what this result means and what's going to happen moving forward as well as we head to Anfield on Sunday, which none of us are particularly looking forward to at this precise moment. Laurie, Andy, Carl. Andy's scratching his head. Carl's staring into the distance. Laurie's looking confused. Not very good, was it? Well... Eric Tanag thought it was a good performance. And I just don't get that, to be honest. Well, I, don't, I, I might sort of shift this tactfully over to Carl briefly because he was saying that actually it was a very measured performance and in large parts, it, it lacked any of the bedlam of the previous uh, group stage matches, didn't it? Um, we kind of needed bedlam today though, didn't we? Exactly. But when you look at the team that he started and then the subs bench that he had, kind of trying to generate that bedlam himself was perhaps a bit difficult. Um, I mean, he actually ended up sending on Hannibal, Palistri, Mainu, and sort of making it a back three, trying to go for some kind of overload in different areas to, to mix things up a little bit. But those personnel, they're not, you know, established goal scorers, particularly not at this level, at, at any senior level, really. So to kind of think that they're going to cause that kind of chaos that we've seen in previous games is just, um, you know, wishful thinking. So very flat. I think that was perhaps the most stark thing, though, the fact that United went out without a whimper. Luke Shaw had the only shot on target from like 20 yards, you know, comfortably palmed over. Fans left, you know, well before the final whistle. Not, not, you know, they stayed until, you know, perhaps the 90th minute, but then as soon as the Copenhagen result was confirmed, it was like, right, we're going and fair play to them. Booze at the final whistle, Bayern Munich fans singing, you're shit and you know you are in English. And, you know, no one could really argue with that. It felt very much like a limp, uh, Champions League performance from United and, and pretty sort of damning, I suppose, about where this team is right now. Yeah, maybe the damage was done before tonight in the Champions League, given the results that United had had to this point. But Andy, I, I sat next to you during the game. It just felt like there was a lack of belief in the stadium from the start, to be honest, from the players and the fans. That's not good enough either. I thought A stand were decent next to the 4,000 Bayern Munich fans who all received pin badges by, by the way from the Red Army. I thought that was a nice touch. And this is about the only positive thing I'm going to say. Can you uh, describe uh, it? Yeah, there's a message in German left by Manchester United fans that the Red Army um, appreciate the support from Bayern Munich. Look at me pretending I can understand German. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, from Bayern Munich regarding the, the memory of the, the Munich air crash. So I thought that was quite a nice touch. And The pin bad is uh, the, the Red Army's emblem as well. Yeah. And anyway, that's me with my positive stuff for today. It was a nice gesture. You nicked a German fan's pin badge, no, by the way. One of the lads in the Red Army um, gave it to me. You talk about a reaction. 
it needed one from the fans and there was a bit of 55 minutes j stand came to life a bit the stratford end came to life a bit but if you compare in this to the grounds i've been to and we've all been to in europe this season simply does not compare in terms of noise it's nowhere near it's not even in the same league munich was fantastic copenhagen was istanbul is always spectacular but you can't put it on the fans it's the players it's chicken and egg the players are supposed to raise the levels and the support from from the crowd and United barely laid a punch on Bayern Munich tonight. I get what Carl's saying. I thought the first half was all he's right. not said it yet. Well, <laughs> what, what he's going to say, because <laughs> I couldn't read his mind, especially after he bought me a big bag of Maltesers, which I ate by about the eighth minute. It's a team with massive injuries. Doesn't help when Harry Maguire was doing fine, went off. Luke Shaw went off. But look, one win from six Champions League games. That is damning. That is a failure. This is a group with Copenhagen and Galatasaray. It's not even a difficult group. And if Andre Nana wouldn't have made that penalty save, it would be no wins out of six. I mean, that, that is horrendous, isn't it? The reason you get six games is to cover for mistakes and individual <laughs> errors against the old European Cup, which was a knockout. You get six different chances, so you can't have any excuses at all. I wouldn't have minded going into the Europa League I could see merit in that. But going out of Europe before Christmas is a massive failure for this club. And we're really going to notice it in the new year. There's going to be those long weeks compared to last year when we had 60-odd matches. Well, when everyone else is playing as well, yeah. there's a lot of English teams in Europe, just not Manchester United. So we'll notice it even more in that regard. It's the first time United have lost four matches in a single group stage of the Champions League. It's the most goals an English side has ever conceded in the group stage of the Champions League. United are now the fourth English side in the history of the competition to finish bottom of their group. United also did it back in 2005. Uh, it's the second time since 1995 that they're out of Europe before Christmas when, of course, they've qualified and United have now lost 12 of their 24 games in all competitions this season, as many as they lost in the entirety of last year. But it wasn't a bad performance, Carl. <laughs> Uh, at halftime, I thought if Manchester United... <laughs> Sorry, mate, that was unfair. If, at halftime, I thought if Manchester United had started their Champions League campaign playing like that, they wouldn't have been in this mess. Yeah, that's a fair point. And look, losing home and away against Bayern Munich is not... There's no real shame in that. Right? That was never going to define your Champions League campaign. It was the absolute chaos against FC Copenhagen, the absolute nonsense against Galatasaray that was your undoing. So fine if you if I if I'm gonna take a timid one nil older brother holding me at arm's length well I well I not even swing my arms but just like try and pretend to play as the best performance in the United Champions League group stage yeah go on go on Eric will be pleased you said that at least one shot on target I know it's been mentioned by the lads already but when Manchester United really really needed to win this match one shot on target which was from distance from Luke Shaw. I mean, Bruno Fernandes had a brilliant chance at the start of the second half. That's as good as it got for United over the bar. But Rasmus Hoyland had 18 or 20 touches, depending on which uh, stat pack <laughs> you have a look at. Half the number that Andre Onana had in goal. I mean, what does that say about this United side that they couldn't even muster a clear-cut chance, really? It says the things Tenaga is saying is not lining up with the things Manchester United are doing. So... Manchester United, you know, Ten Hag said Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire played against Manchester City for tactical reasons and then elaborated that it had to do with player orientation and build-up and said if you play Maguire and Rafael Varane, 
then uh, if an opponent presses you really, really high, you have to kick long. And I don't want to kick long. And then lo and behold, against Bayern Munich, Rafa Varane's playing next to Harry Maguire and Rafa Varane's playing left centre-back as well. Uh, and Varane played at left centre-back in the same way Ten Hag said he would, which is pretty good defensively. But when it came to making progressive passes forward, not too many of those. And the thing Ten Hag wants is loads of progressive passes forward. And he stayed there when Johnny Evans came on as well, which is even more surprising. Johnny Evans came on. And the thing is, Rafa Varane played well, right? He is United's best box defender. There were two or three uh, times where Kingsley Common in particular got down the left in the first half. Thomas Tuchel talked a lot to Kingsley Common in, in the first half. And part of me is going, oh God, he's going to pull it back for someone on the edge of the box. And I just saw Rafa Varane stood there preventing such a pass. I'm going, oh yeah, that's, that's nice. We probably could have done with that. Some of those other games where they kept doing loads of pullbacks. Um, so this is the concern that, and this is probably why I think Manchester United were better here because they were playing some of their better players. There is still that frustration of how much attacking play revolves around Scott McTominay now and his late arrivals into the into the penalty. Rasmus had 20 touches, McTominay had 41. And a lot of those 41 touches are in areas where you want to be giving the ball to your 70... Six million pound striker. My voice is going high because I'm getting annoyed just thinking about it. Yeah, Anthony as well. I mean, oh. again, Anthony. There was a bit where Anthony went wide. <laughs> Go on, Carl. There was a bit where Anthony went wide against Alfonso Davis, stood him up one v one, and started doing stepovers. And I turned to Laurie and went, "What's he doing stepovers for? We all know he's only got one foot." Carl has now thrown his hat, and he said it was a good performance. Look at what's happened as he's <laughs> elaborated on it and got more angry. One assist, zero goals in 25 appearances for Anthony. It's not good enough. £86 million. Pounds. a huge amount of money. He's one of many players who should be performing to a much higher level. I was speaking to one coach during the game. He said, United's man-marking defending is what bugs me the most. We are so easy to play against. I thought that was a, that was a professional opinion, which was put to me as well, and I'd not really seen that to that level Tenag says he doesn't man mark though oh that's not the aim he says that the aim is zonal first and then man marking sort of second if that's what happens with the ball but that's not really what he's intending his players to do so clearly there's confusion if the, that is his intention the game plan from what I saw in the first half was Bruno Fernandes jumping up to with Hoyland to lead the press and basically make sure Bayern to clog up the middle Make sure you can't get clogged up through the middle. Problem with that is, is Bayern Munich have uh, Joshua Kimmich, who is very good at receiving the ball and playing out of pressure, and Jamal Musiala, who is also very good at receiving the ball and playing out of pressure. Uh, at halftime, you know, I looked at you and I went, There's, you know, it's quite fun watching Garnacho run it up on Meccano, but also he's never going to win that fight. Bayern are just bigger and technically more adept than Manchester United in many facets of the game, which, again, fine. You lost to Bayern Munich. Whatever, they're going to get to the Champions League quarterfinal week in, week out. They've won 40 Champions League group games in a row. I'm not going to get too angry about that, despite the fact I've just thrown my hat in disgust thinking about Anthony. You've just improved Bayern's record as well. They, they've not lost in 40 <laughs> not games. Lost. They've not won Sorry. 40 in a row. Sorry, but they've not lost it, in 40 It might games. feel like it tonight. Um, that's not... It, it is Galatasaray. It is Copenhagen. It is those ridiculous moments where Andre and Arnold's pretty much chucking the ball in his own net or where you are a goal up against an opposition team and you, for some reason no one in your midfield is putting a foot on the ball and saying calm down or the many many 
many flick-ons and backheels Bruno Fernandes is doing when he's on the pressure because he cannot receive the ball on the pressure. Or, again, the many just odd things McTominay is doing because he's a limited player. He's very, very good when he makes late arrivals in the box, but he's a complete passenger in Manchester United's possession game at the moment because Ten Hag only wants him in that role, which, again, fine. Can't be your tactic for 90 minutes. Cannot be your tactic for 90 minutes. You need something more to which you go, okay, but there's the injuries and there's all this and there's all this. And I just yelled 86 million pound for Anthony, 60 million pound on Mason Mount. And everyone went, why are you buying Mason Mount when he's the final third player? You need someone next to Casemiro. And it's just... Somebody get a cup of tea for Carl. Oh, if we can get a cup of tea for Carl, that'd be good. But Thomas Tuchel spoke very well again after the game, as he did pre-match. And he said, I'm not one to advise the defeated manager. That's not how it worked. But he did say United didn't have the width and the quality. He did say about the injuries, it's clearly a huge injury list now. I'm not sure what the numbers are going into the game at Liverpool at the weekend, but it, it, it's just so daunting uh, thinking of that. I just worried how we get out of this. Where do Manchester United go from here? What's going to happen? Is new investment going to come in? Is that going to need to new players? This wasn't unexpected tonight. This has been building all season. This has been a really, really poor season. Is Eric Ten Hag the man to make Manchester United better again? I've always backed him. I think I still would. I think every manager deserves two years. But I can understand why United fans are nervous. That was awful tonight. And people are people are paying good money to watch this. They're watching one of the biggest clubs in the world. And Bayern are as well. They're a very well-run club. I think their fan base is really switched on. I saw, as well as the humorous chants in English, there was a flag against the Glazers. They were talking about ticket prices. And they do that consistently. More than any big club in Europe, they were the ones who first kicked off about the €100 Euro prices at Anderlecht a few years ago. And they're the ones who were affecting change, far more than what Manchester United fans are doing. There's a lot of apathy at this ground at the moment. And there are people trying to make a difference. The, the, the five or 600 in A stand just behind where you are now were decent tonight. But it's this season is sinking. It really is. How do you get out of it now? Ten Hag has just said, we finish in the top four. All right. We know that's the way forward. But that just seems so far off at the moment. And that just shows a further reduction in, in standards. During the FA Cup, does this become like 1990, where that becomes your turning point? But even the FA Cup now isn't what it was all those years ago for Sir Alex Ferguson. Or did Ten Hag overachieve in his first season? Was that the maximum he could get? Third, that cup final that win it's it's really worrying or is it as simple as getting all your best players back and the team getting back to where they were because he's everyone can see that the injury list is a serious one this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Laurie, in that press conference after the game, there was no question to Eric Ten Hag about his future. Why do you think that was? I think because most people in that auditorium know the reality of the situation in that Eric Ten Hag, to my mind, won't lose his job whilst there is still um, 
to Jim Ratcliffe's investment in the club to be ratified because nobody at United really has the authority to make that kind of major decision whilst you've got this incoming, he's not an owner, is he? But he's, a, he's going to have 25% and to all intents and purposes have sporting control. No one's going to make a call that big. I don't think they would even have the authority to, to be honest. You've got Patrick Stewart, who's an interim CEO. He's just sort of minding the shop whilst you know uh, this process continues. John Murta, the football director who you know sensibly would have that authority, he won't make that call because, again, he's probably got new bosses coming in in the very near future. Um, so Dave Brailsford and Jean-Claude Blanc were at Old Trafford last week uh, with uh, Murta and Stewart. And also beyond that, I think Murta is pretty much wedded to Eric Ten Hag. You know, his previous call on a manager was uh, Ralph Ranić as an interim. Difficult situation, but nonetheless, that went very badly wrong. And the relationship between Murta and Ranić soured pretty quickly, distant, uh, lack of communication throughout the whole rest of that six-month period. So he's all in on to Eric Ten Hag in terms of the signings that they've made, or at least the money that they've committed. I think people in the room, reporters, they have asked Ten Hag about his position before. You've got that answer back from him. Uh, and I don't, I don't think anyone feels like there's, it, it's in the offing in the immediate future. Um, there'll be a piece on The Athletic from Dan Sheldon that goes into that a little bit more by the time this reaches your ears. So I think that's the reality of the situation. And I think also people appreciate that we've been through this cycle a lot and um, the focus certainly from fans is on players as much as it is Eric Tenag. He's certainly made mistakes and he's got faults. But I think people think, well, last season was, was pretty good, um, as Andy's touched on, you know, a trophy and winning, getting into the Champions League places was above expectations at that point. So there's a little bit of credit in the bank there. Clearly, it's not been good for a long time now this season. So the scrutiny you know, is falling on him justifiably. But I think that next step to actually then ask him about his position, I think, I don't know, I don't think we're in the right circumstances for that yet. And in terms of the investment that's coming, well, it is coming, but but when? I mean, that that is the huge question now that's hanging over the entire club, Andy, isn't it? There's issues still to iron out. My understanding is it's to do with Nice and should they qualify for the Champions League because Ineos have, basically gone public and said we would be in charge of the sporting side so that is where I understand some of the complications are it's a very complex deal as well and it's a club in in a state of flux there's a lot of uncertainty the people we're talking about here who Laurie's just been talking about they don't know whether they're going to be at this club in six months time they don't know whether they're going to be in a different role whether they're going to be working alongside new people and John made the decision to bring in Eric Ten Hag so if he was to get rid of him, then that would reflect badly on himself, especially as he brought Ralph Ragnick in. I was told something very interesting about when Ragnick came in um, and that because of the Brexit rules, Ralph Ragnick wasn't allowed to bring in the coaches that he wanted to bring in. So he had to go to his second choice, third choice, fourth choice. And each of the people were coming back to him and saying, I'm not giving up my very good job at this football club for a four-month temporary contract. So what you ended up with was a a less than ideal situation. But the players, so many of them are Eric Ten Hag's players. And we've seen this cycle before where the new man comes in and says privately, I've got a huge job to do here. And David Moyes was saying this after one month, even though Ed Woodward was saying the opposite, uh, I'm going to make the changes here. And the managers get to bring in all the players. We know Van Hal brought in his seven or eight. We know Jose brought in. We know Oli brought in. And the club just stagnates because... The manager loses his job. And if we look at Ten Hag signings now, it was 
six or seven months ago, we would have been praising him. And now we'd be pretty hard pushed to praise him. And these are lads who cost a lot of money, huge amounts of money. And it brings you back to the problem of Manchester United struggling to get rid of players who are on too big a contracts, earning too much money. You know, Anthony cost a fortune. There were bits tonight where you're thinking, he's got huge amounts of skill here. Is he going to turn out to justify his price tag? We don't know. Same with Rasmus Hoyland as well. We can see that there's a, a player there, but how many players blossom at this football club? There's so few of them. The, the whole inertia around the club, the whole environment around the club is not a conducive one. And I just look with envy at Bayern Munich, the way that they scout players. They don't even pay massive transfer fees. I think um, Harry Kane and his wages was a bit of an outlier there. They, they're really sharp at recruiting and they do it on their own doorstep and they pick off the best players from the rivals. And that's to the detriment of German football when Bayern can go to Borussia Dortmund and take the best players. And I, I don't wish for that, where one team wins the league every single year because one reason the Premier League is so engrossing is because of the jeopardy and because Bournemouth can beat Manchester United. But United should be doing far, far better. I think one of the concerning things now is if you list the reasons why Ten Hag will be staying in his role, you start off with what Laurie's described, the fact that the person who hired him is loath to do it. You probably go on to his wages and say it'd be quite expensive to terminate. You then mention the fact the fan base probably has no appetite for, for removing another manager because it's becoming quite evident that no one manager can fix this. You, you'd list three or four reasons before you get to, I think Eric Ten Hag is doing a good job or I think Eric Ten Hag will do a good job, which if United are to have this rebuild, if they are to, to spend a season or two in the relative wilderness of non-European football, the Europa League or whatever. Are you sure Eric Ten Hag's the person for it? And at this point, I think the faith from a lot of United fans is wavering. Ten Hag last season, Ten Hag last season lost 7-0 at Anfield and United fans went, he's still the man. And to go from there to what's about, well, to the lead up to this next game at Anfield. <laughs> it's quite stuck. It's a good point that Carl makes there. How much of an impact do we think that 7-0 actually had for the underlying belief from the players in Ten Hag's methods? Because to that point, I think they just won the Carabao Cup, right? Mm -hmm. And They were in good form going to Anfield. Yeah. It was unexpected well, what happened. The first half was quite good <laughs> and not in a Bayern Munich quite good way either. They actually had chances, Sorry, didn't they? Sorry, Carl. They actually had chances in that first half. <laughs> I mean, I remember, and it's probably unfair to bring it up, but Gary Neville before the game to Graham Souness was sort of doing a selfie video, wasn't he? And he was like, this lot, no, they're strong. They don't, they don't quit this lot. You know, and obviously it's just unfortunate that then <laughs> this 7-0 came. But I do wonder what repercussions that had just subconsciously maybe in what Tenag's trying to achieve because you're seeing... Tenag played Bruno a... Fernandes on the left against at Anfield last year. You put Marcus Rashford up front and played Bruno Fernandes on the left after we, on this podcast, talked about Rashford's in really good form after the Carabao Cup and post-World Cup. You should probably have a really good guy running at Trent Alexander-Arnold. And then Tenag did that and almost got away with it. Got away with it, it's probably too easy. But this is how much cachet he had at the time. And it's such a pronounced turnaround. And there are a myriad of factors as, as to why this slide has happened. Injuries, yes. Um, Off-field things, yes. As Andy's spoken about very eloquently, this inertia 
that is just surrounding Manchester United that no one can really do anything until we find out what Jim Radcliffe wants to do. But blimey, this is a really steep drop. On the uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold point, I think United coach, I think Ten Hag accepted afterwards that he made a mistake there and that actually that was a, a point they should have attacked really. Um, and I suppose that then leads into maybe the fact that Rashford has again been sort of shifted around a bit and I'm not sort of defending Rashford's form, he's been really bad, but um, I think that is a, an aspect to it that, you know, he's on the right wing and it, it, clearly his best position, his, his most favourite position, he's got a good skill and, and ability when he's at his form, he's on the left. If you're not going to back the manager, then you're going to back the players. That leads us into another problem. Mm. If you've got players undermining the manager, I'd rather back a manager over players because players have been culpable in other managers losing their jobs. And I'm not an advocate of too much player power where players have got people doing their bidding for them. I think a manager should be the most important person at a football club. It's quite a lonely profession. And Tuchel said that even though he's the victor tonight. And I've spoke to other people who've managed here. And it's not nice when you feel that your players are not all with you. So I think the manager needs the support of the fans. And for all the reasons that we've touched on, I think Eric Ten Hag I still got quite a lot of support and people on the outside are baffled by this. They're like, how on earth is he keeping his job at Manchester United? This would never happen at Barcelona or Real Madrid or wherever. Well, we're not there. We're at Manchester United. And because of these layers, because of what's gone on in the last 10 years, we have the situation where the manager is getting a lot of support and a lot of patience. Okay, then. Liverpool next. Away at Anfield on Sunday. Before we talk about Positives. Why are you all looking at me like that? Before we talk about positives, let's just talk about the injury situation. Um, so Harry Maguire went off with what looked like a groin problem. Luke Shaw went off with what looked like a hamstring problem against Bayern Munich. Manager says they need to be assessed, Laurie. But there could be a total of 13 players missing for the trip to Liverpool. If you include Rashford and Martial, who missed out tonight, ill. Malassi has a knee injury. Casemiro's got a thigh problem. Martinez has hurt his ankle. Eriksen's hurt his knee. Bruno Fernandes is suspended. Mason Mount has a calf problem. Lindelof has a knock and has missed out. Sancho's out of the picture. Ahmad's still recovering from a knee problem. And of that list as well, nine of those players appeared against Wolves on the opening day of the season. So nine of the 13 are part of what would be the first team pitcher heading to Liverpool. No matter what, that is really tough, isn't it? Yeah, and I think you probably have to drill down into why that is the case. I mean, I know that a lot of clubs are experiencing injury problems and probably Ten Hag, well, the public answer that he'll give is the fact that the fixtures are uh, excessive and well, they don't have to have that problem anymore this season. And the length of time added on to games, you know, with VAR, I think that's a real aspect to it all. Um, you know, they're actually just out there for longer. That being said, you know, it is a, it is a lot of injuries and, and muscle injuries. You know, you look at Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw tonight, you know, they're kind of having to play because there's nobody else. And I think they're obviously good players and they would be in the first team anyway. Luke Shaw has been out for 13 weeks with a hamstring problem. He's come back and started three matches in the space of six days. And in the third match, he's pulled up with a hamstring issue. I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to play him, but 
you can see how, how that's happened. But he's so important for this team and Ten Hag had to put him in, surely. Yeah, imagine if he'd just started him on the bench, you know, imagine the, the scrutiny that that would have brought. But yeah, it's a, it's a serious issue. And you look at actually the team against Bournemouth, they actually lost four players from that team and only lost 1-0 to Bayern Munich. So Carl's right, it was a good performance. <laughs> so what I'm really happy about though, you know, Andy went a bit viral this week and with a social media post. Up with something here here. And if you look at the rondos that Andy posted online, you've got no worries about them going to Anfield. Jeez. You've stirred up a lot of shit this week, mister. I took a video in good faith and just posted it, said I'm at Manchester United training. It's had about 10 million views so far. I just posted that, carried on doing my job, carried on speaking to people, carried on doing writing. And about four hours later, one of you two said that this is going viral. And I looked at the reaction and it was almost entirely negative. I didn't like I didn't like what happened, actually, because I took it in good faith. I put it, wasn't it out wasn't your there. intention, was it? No, you should say that, yeah. Not at all. I took, um, I just wanted a snapshot of training and people framed it very, very negatively. To clarify, so. it got better after that. Like that was the, that was the initial, Carl's not having it still. No, 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 no. no. I okay. said, I said first five minutes of a run though. Okay, shaky cobwebs. I'll give you, I, I chose the, you know, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there. The cameras are there um, as the well. It's never there. serious training well, yes. that bit, is it? The first 15 minutes of open training when we get to get the cameras out, they do tend to, uh, repeat their shuttle runs waiting for us to go away. So I'll give them the benefit that they, the rondos were better. I will say, however, I watched the rondos before buying and they were fine. <laughs> um, I think it was actually kind of interesting. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but often, you know, they have to give us 15 minutes before Champions League games. It's UEFA regulation. Often they'll sort of do it in the distance a bit and you can't really see that much. They did do quite an interesting sort of shooting drill before the Galatasaray game, I want to say. That was kind of fun, but it was, again, in the distance. This was right up close in front of us. You had, you know, a lot of energy, a lot of smiles. I'm sort of thinking they knew what they were doing with that, you know, getting it right in front of the media. And it, it looked good. Like, you know, once they got going, it was it was fun. It was it was competitive. Bruno Fernandes was complaining about one of the decisions, which, you know... Doesn't sound like him. Well, I mean, I do think we have to address he's not playing against Liverpool because he got a booking late on against Bournemouth for complaining to a referee and he got a fifth caution of the season. Like, if he didn't know what the potential repercussions were, that's bad. If he did, then obviously that's even worse. But I do think that we just have to, I don't know, just take a moment to reflect on that. Because I think that will be, I mean, who does he play in the number 10 position? Does he Does he play Scott McTominay in this kind of, you know, and, he, and then he's got a more liberal uh, ability with, with what by, he does? By the way, does he even have a choice, to be honest? I mean, looking at the team sheet tonight, there's McTominay, Mainu. And Amrabat, they're the only central midfielders in that in that group. Well, well, Hannibal, Hannibal, I was gonna say Hannibal, Hannibal yeah, on. sorry. Well, he's played at Anfield before, hasn't he? Under, under Ranjit, came Just on and kicked everyone. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Gary Neville loved it, didn't he? That one. I mean, he got a bucket in that occasion. We were four 0 down at the time, weren't we, yeah. when he came on? But Hannibal yeah, he did show an effort. Loves a bucket. I'm pretty despondent about looking forward to to the game. I've probably not been this despondent about a match for for a long time just be because of the the injuries in Liverpool uh, are doing well where are they in the league Liverpool <laughs> I don't know um, yeah they are yeah um, <laughs> oh right <laughs> whatever but I, I, I find, okay, I've got just, on, a, just a minute just a minute I, I've got a list here of stats that I just can't read out I, I can't read them you out you can't say so that bad. and not read them out well 
Is it like United haven't won there since? Mo Salah has scored 12 goals in 12 games against Manchester United for Liverpool. It's the most goals he's scored against any opponent in his career. It's the most any Liverpool player has ever scored against Manchester United. Liverpool have been beaten in their last seven Premier League home games against United, winning the last two by an aggregate score of 11-0. They last had a longer run without a league defeat at Anfield between 1970 and 1979 against United. United have failed to score in their last four Premier League away games against Liverpool. Liverpool. They had a longer run without an away league goal against an opponent between 1969 and 1974, but not since. Liverpool have won all seven of their Premier League games at Anfield this season. And Manchester United have failed to win any of their last 13 Premier League away games against sides starting the day in the top eight of the table since beating Spurs 3-0 under Solskjaer in October 2021. I'll give you one stat. Liverpool have won 19 league titles. Manchester United have won 20. There you go. Andy, when you say this is the most despondent you've felt about going to Anfield, you're more despondent this week than you were before Rangnick's United went to Anfield. Remember um, Rangnick's United? I deliberately went in the away end, not the press box. I tried to get my mates to come in it with me. I got knocked back, so I'm stood there by me on my jack. And I went in there to that game thinking, we're going to win. You know, you walk through the turnstile and you're seeing the community there, we're going to win. It's about time we turn these over. Come on, you know, let's have a good first 20 minutes. Settle down the crowd. You've got all these people in front of you, right next to Liverpool fans. And we last like three minutes. They scored their first goal after yeah. three or four minutes. Cool and then it, played in that game. it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And and then that last season, it was a seven, wasn't it? So can you understand why I'm not filled with confidence? You mentioned 79 there. Liverpool were often the best team in England in the 1980s. Do you know how many times United lost a league game at Anfield in the entire 1980s? Once. They could pull out a performance. You had these characters like Whiteside and Robson and Strachan smoking his cigar. I just can't see it from the current lot. So even though the lads in the 80s were going to have like 19 pints two nights before a match, they would bang their heads together and go, right, it's Liverpool on Saturday, they're the European champions, and they'd just smash into them. I think United fans would love to see something like that. Hannibal's starting them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. imagine, Hannibal, captain. Any positives? Anyone? Yeah, we're not Liverpool. That's a positive. Yeah. One thing I, I do... You mentioned Mama Salah's record against Manchester United there. And famously, Jurgen Klopp didn't want... Jurgen Klopp wanted Brandt, Julian Brandt from the Liga, from a league he knows. And he was overruled by Michael Edwards. And Michael Edwards, I'm not bringing you Mr. Brandt. I'm going to bring you this guy, Mo Salah from Roma. And everyone scoffed. Oh, he's a Chelsea failure. But turns out it was perfect. And what I would like for the new year is, like I said before, I said earlier, it really does feel like there's no appetite to to sack Eric Ten Hag. It really does. The, the fan base doesn't seem to want another cycle of boom and bust and another long, whatever, his this new manager. What I would like is when this minority investment comes in, more of that sort of Michael Edwards figure. So checks and balances, people who can support Ten Hag and let him know, okay, you interested in this player. How about this player who doesn't play in the Netherlands and can also be interesting for you? There might be a version of Eric Ten Hag's Manchester United that can get closer to wherever that other team is right now in the Premier League that can get to the champion that can qualify for the Champions League and not finish fourth. But that will need a greater infrastructure around Ten Hag to get the best out of him so he can get the best out of those players. 
therein's my rant. Any positives for Sunday? For Sunday, I was just going to say longer term. I know I said that I wanted United to be in the Europa League, but I'm just going to do a total U-turn and say, actually, being out of Europe entirely is, is magnificent because they've got loads of injuries and they look knackered at the end of that, Hoyland in particular. Um, so I think that maybe the rest <laughs> will do them some good. Um, I, I also think Liverpool have been a little bit um, sketchy. Like they got yeah. quite lucky at Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fulham scored three goals at Anfield, although Fulham then also won 5-0 twice on the bounce um, so they're actually pretty good stop talking <laughs> okay go. sorry I've talked myself out of the positives <laughs> no go on uh, it was they had, they had another uh, sort of dodgy win didn't they recently as well but anyway um, so yeah I don't know it's, it's tough isn't it though you can just totally picture I mean I suppose the only thing is if Andy's thinking it's going to be you know, 4-0 two seasons ago, 7-0 last season. You just hope it's not going up in threes and it's going to be double digits. So um, anything b below four positive? This is just... I just don't know what to I say. can't have this conversation. Just, it's just <laughs> gutting me. I don't want to give myself false hope. But, but sometimes when there is no hope, yeah. that's when you can be the most surprised. So if there's zero expectation of Manchester United going to Liverpool on Sunday that means that there could be a huge, huge, huge surprise, yeah? Yeah, I hope for that tonight, mate, when I walked in the ground. Mm. I just, I, I can't replenish my optimism <laughs> so soon after seeing that tonight. I'll give you a call tomorrow. You give me a call tomorrow. As I said, when I walk into any ground to see United, I think they're going to win. And I realise that is a major personality flaw. But at this moment, I do not think United are going to win. At Liverpool on Sunday, and I'm, I'm even on Sunday. I probably won't. I'll but if the attack has the start, that's yeah. you know, it'd be by accident or design. Whatever has happened, Varane has to start now because Maguire's injured. So hopefully, we can get a couple of runs of Varane. So no more cutback goals. Yeah, is that positive? Thumbs are up, Carl. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's a bit weird about Varane actually. We haven't really talked about it too much on the podcast, but. Just being brought in from the cold tonight, his first start since October the 24th. Like Carl says, he was brought off early. He's likely to start on Sunday as well. This is him having a chance to rescue his United career, isn't it? I guess so, yeah. It just feels like a, a strange situation, uh, that one. I guess Tenag wanted... I, I mean, Johnny Evans has got plenty of experience in, in the Champions League, but I guess he felt Varane was a more secure defensive uh, pick uh, for this game. I suppose it just is symbolic of the changes that have happened, the kind of unexpected selections and, and Brickmanship rotations. almost, isn't it, all the time? Yeah, just, just, it's just, it's just not settled, is it? And that, that can't produce a unified team performance. And obviously there's, there's issues, there's reasons behind that for Tanag, um, but equally he, he has made these decisions himself as well. So um, I guess he's just still trying desperately to find a team that is fit enough and that can actually function as a unit. Yeah, it would be nice, wouldn't it? And fit enough is the question, isn't it? Heading to Liverpool on Sunday. That's us for tonight. Thank you for listening. We've not been thrown out of Old Trafford for a while, actually, have we? Recording one of these podcasts, but that's what we're about to we're about to do now. Uh, Carl, thank you. Andy, thank you. Laurie, thank you. And thanks for listening at home. We'll see you after Liverpool. Whatever happens, take care. Bye bye. The Athletic.